0: I'm always trying to figure out ways to help people be uh, more comfortable, more efficient, and uh, have more joy in the kitchen. So they'll be more likely to shop in grocery stores, farmer's markets, bring
1: that stuff home and
0: cook it and prepare it.
1: I'm Dalia Colom, and this is The Zest. Citrus, seafood, Spanish flavor, and Southern charm. The Zest celebrates cuisine and community in the Sunshine State. If you dread cooking or think you need a degree from culinary school just to make dinner, then get ready for a confidence boost. Today's guest offers a crash course in preparing quick, healthy meals with ingredients you have on hand. No recipes required. With COVID variants looming large, many of us are back to cooking at home. Some of us never stopped. And while we're all for supporting local restaurants, ordering takeout every day isn't always in the best interest of our wallets or our waistlines. So friend of the pod, Wendy Wesley is here with some guidelines for stress-free cooking. I'm talking no recipes, use whatever you have on hand type cooking. Wendy is a registered and licensed dietitian and nutritionist based in St. Petersburg. She believes anyone can cook a great meal with just a few guiding principles and intuition. And yes, she knows that sounds kind of woo-woo, but whenever Wendy's on the podcast, she brings such practical advice to help us eat healthier and actually enjoy the process. So we're in for lots of concrete tips today. We're in good hands, y'all. Here's my conversation with Wendy, which we recorded in the spring.
0: My name is Wendy Wesley, and I'm a registered and licensed dietitian and nutritionist here
1: in St. Pete, Florida. What are we talking about today?
0: Well, we are talking about uh, trying to help people to cook more intuitively with more flow and to not be so um, beholden to recipes. Because I think if people can cook more intuitively and cook with methods and techniques rather than recipes, they can be faster and more efficient in the kitchen. And I think that brings joy in the kitchen.
1: I love that. And we had you on uh, season three, episode one, to talk all about tips for cooking faster and how it becomes less overwhelming. And then we'll actually do it and we'll stop eating out and we'll be, you know, the best versions of our healthy selves, hopefully. I have to say cooking intuitively sounds a little like crunchy granola. So can you give me an example of what you mean?
0: It does sound really hippie. I know, I know. I talk about things like joy and intuition and other kinds of hippie things in the kitchen, but I, I, I keep kind of coming back to it because I want people to cook more at home because the more people cook at home, the better outcomes. They have lower cardiac disease, lower diabetes, and they have you know more money in the bank because- I love restaurants, but eating out in restaurants and takeout and Uber Eats and stuff like that is, uh, I don't think it's sustainable. And I I just, I'm always trying to figure out ways to help people be uh, more comfortable, more efficient, and uh, have more joy in the kitchen. So they'll be more likely to shop in grocery stores, farmer's markets, bring that stuff home and cook it and prepare it.
1: Talk more about being comfortable because I'm the kind of person who will just, throw stuff together and taste it and and kind of tweak it. But then there are other people who really like my husband, he makes these really good tacos and he needed a certain vinegar for the tacos. And he asked me if we had it. And I said, no, but we have like these five other vinegars. And he's like, well, we can't use those. We have to use the one that the recipe says. So talk to me about being more comfortable and um, maybe adaptable in the kitchen. I see that with a lot of people I work with. I I teach cooking
0: and of course I teach nutrition and, and people are very, very, can be very rigid about their ingredients. But if they kind of understand that a vinegar is an acid, at its core, a vinegar is an acid and its job is to do something very specific in a recipe. Then when you understand that you're comfortable subbing out and you don't feel like you have to grab the car keys and go to the store and get the perfect vinegar because you have a suitable substitute in the pantry.
1: Perfect. I hope my husband listens to this episode. <laughs> what, are, what are some concrete methods we can use to start cooking with more intuition, especially for a beginner?
0: My favorite one to teach is it's called, I call it the loaf method. And it is, it is essentially learning how to take a protein, which could be an animal protein or a plant protein, mixing it say with a binder, like an egg, and something, another kind of a binder like breadcrumbs and then throwing in vegetables and aromatics. And once you learn the loaf method, your cooking goes from one thing to 10 things. So I can teach you how to make a meatloaf using the loaf method. And then all of a sudden you have meatballs of either beef, turkey or pork, and then you can make crab cakes, fish cakes, shrimp cakes. And then if you take beans, you can turn that into black bean burgers, falafel balls. So if you learn this one thing, and it's a method, it's a technique, it's not really a recipe, it's just I have a protein, I need a binder, I need some aromatics, some salt and pepper, I put it all together, and then I have this fantastic thing called a loaf, which actually could be 10 different things like I just uh, listed.
1: Well, that is good. And I was just going to ask you for a vegetarian option because I am a vegetarian, but you threw in the beans and I love any recipe that starts with a can of beans. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What else? You were telling me when we spoke before that there are some techniques that are used in culinary school and taught in culinary school that the rest of us would really benefit from. Can you give me an example?
0: The first thing I ever made as a kid was macaroni and cheese from the box. From the, blue, from the blue box. It's the first thing I ever cooked. And I wanted to learn how to make it homemade. And so I pulled out my mom's um, Betty Crocker cookbook. And what they showed you how to make was something they call was a thin white sauce, which in the culinary world is actually a bechamel. And it's one of the, the five mother sauces. And it is simply just a combination of a fat, a starch, and a liquid. So once you learn how to make this, all of a sudden, when you're looking at a recipe, you're not kind of overwhelmed because you don't understand Kind of the basic tenets of a bechamel or a velouté, which is essentially that, but not made with dairy, but made with stock. So, those are two of the mother sauces bechamel or velouté. And all of a sudden, now you're very comfortable making homemade macaroni and cheese, moussaka, uh, chicken pot pie, and then you can make a gravy. You can make a gumbo, a hearty beef stew, or enchiladas. So just having like this basic idea of how to make one of these sauces of three ingredients, your cooking goes from something that's kind of very small, or maybe you're kind of uh, uh, timid or terrified of the, of the recipe. And you look at the recipe, you say, oh, they just want me to make a bechamel. No big deal. And then you're off to the races. How old were you when you were making a bechamel? I was 12. Wow. Um, But it it really, but that's the thing. It's something that a 12 year old can make. It's just, it's some fat. It's a little bit of starch like flour. So it's butter, it's flour, and then you slowly incorporate some milk and there you go. It's a Betty Crocker thin white sauce or in fancy terms, it's a bechamel. (laughs) And it really is. It's the backbone of homemade macaroni
1: and cheese. It really is. Oh, and now I want some homemade macaroni and cheese. (laughs) So, so for someone who didn't learn this when they were 12 and they're hearing you describe it and they think, okay, I could possibly do this. What are some resources? I mean, YouTube, like, should we just look it up on YouTube or how does somebody begin to learn these basics?
0: I think YouTube is a fantastic resource. For instance, on YouTube, I was just listening to an interview that um, Anthony Bourdain was doing with Jacques Pepin, and Jacques Pepin is my fa- absolute favorite. Uh, he's, just, he's the greatest. Jacques Pepin was talking about refrigerator soup. So I teach people to make a 30-minute chicken soup, and the reason I do it is because I want someone to walk away from that one lesson, that initial lesson, feeling victorious, and I want them to feel hope that they could make a homemade chicken noodle soup in 30 minutes and it didn't kill them and they didn't overwhelm them. And I, I want them to say, this is doable. Cooking at home is doable. And so Jacques Pepin talks about a refrigerator soup, meaning that he has kind of the basic backbone of a soup and he sticks his head in the refrigerator and he starts pulling out the stuff that is about to maybe turn bad or stuff that he just needs to use. And he starts adding it to his soup my basic 30 minute chicken noodle soup i use a box stock and some people have said oh you you can't wendy you can't use a box stock i said well when i'm teaching someone to make a soup for the first time that is not from a can that's from scratch you know where where they started with onions and and garlic and celery and maybe some carrots and some chicken i'm not going to overwhelm them by also telling them that they ha- first they have to make stock that can come later so Teaching someone to cook is really, there, there are building blocks. It's like math. You really have to build on what you learned in the previous lesson. And so this, this refrigerator soup that Jacques Pepin talks about is an incredibly intuitive way to cook. He sticks his head in the fridge and he says, what's about to go bad? I'm throwing it in the soup. But in order to do that, he has to start with the
1: basic tenets of a soup. I don't use uh, box stock, but I use um, better than bouillon. It's kind of mm-hmm. like, a, like a paste. And that's another little shortcut because they're only 24 hours in a day, but we are in Florida and it is it's hot. So if if someone's listening and thinking, "Eh, I don't know if I want to make a soup, what's something else that they could sort of have in their repertoire for when things are starting to go bad in the fridge?
0: You know, I. I also kind of apply this to things like tuna salad and chicken salad. So if you have some nuts and seeds, if you have some celery, some carrots, if you have some green pepper. So when you're making your chicken salad or your tuna salad, I always say, look for some vegetables or nuts and seeds where you can bulk up the fiber content of your chicken salad and your or your tuna salad you're getting more color, more fiber, more phytonutrients, and you're also bulking it up so that your portion is actually lower in calories, but higher in nutrients because you bulked it up with nuts and seeds or even dried fruit. I, you know, put raisins in my chicken salad and then I stick my head in the fridge, just like Jacques Pepin. And I say, what's about to go out. And I start adding
1: and bulking up my chicken and my tuna salad with these things. Oh, that's great. And for people who are thinking, Oh, fiber. That doesn't sound really fun. Wendy posts pictures of her food online and I follow her and it looks delicious. I'm always like taking screenshots of the recipes you post. So if you're thinking it's going to be healthy, it's not going to taste good. That is not the case. We talked a little bit about, you know, when your veggies are going bad and things like that, but we have such a bounty here in Florida. How can we cook this way and use more fresh local ingredients?
0: Well, one of my favorite things to make, and this goes back to the loaf method is a fish cake. So if I get a piece of fish, um, whether it's somebody, somebody caught it and said, Hey, do you want this fish? I'll I'll say yes. And if it's, if it's not, you know, big, sometimes the fillets of fish you get can be kind of small and they're maybe not proper for pan searing because they're too small. I'll take that fish, chop it up and I'll turn it into a fish cake. And again, that goes back to the loaf method. I chop the fish and that's my protein. I add a little egg, a little breadcrumb. I saute up some, uh, maybe some green peppers, red peppers, always onion, maybe a little garlic. And I make a fish cake. And then I um, get my cast iron pan going nice and hot, get those going, um, a good brown sear on either side, and then I'll make... A mayonnaise and hot sauce mixture. And I put that with the fish cake, serve it with a side salad. And this is a gorgeous, easy, easy dinner. And it's all because I know how to make a loaf. But if I didn't know how to make a loaf, I might look at this fish and say, I don't know what to do with this fish. It's kind of thin, it's kind of small, but if you have a protein, you can turn any protein into a loaf and there you are. And like I said, you learn this one technique, this one method, and you suddenly have 10 things to make for dinner. There you are.
1: I love that. And the last time we spoke, you said, decide what protein you're having. You don't have to have the whole dinner planned out, but decide if you need to defrost something or, or pick up something, just like start with your protein and kind of build from there. So you're right. It is like math. It's like baby steps. What what else do we need to know in order to cook more intuitively?
0: Well, I I think that um, understanding eggs, um, I have ruined so many eggs in my life, but um, I watched um, a chef at a hotel breakfast buffet make omelets and all of a sudden my whole world opened up. I said, oh, that's how I've been doing it wrong all these years. Uh, I've been really overcooking the eggs. You know, you cook all the water out of them and they get dry and hard. Um, the chef at the hotel pre sauteed all the vegetables and she took them out of the pan and then she got her eggs going and then she added the vegetables back in the omelet was soft and fluffy and everything was to the right cooking temperature and so that's just a very very simple thing is just learning how to make omelets and to do eggs the right way because eggs can take you a long way at dinner time especially
1: if you're incorporating lots of fibrous vegetables they sure can <laughs> it could be a breakfast lunch or dinner and you know what this whole way of cooking is very much in the in the zeitgeist right now i know sam sifton from the new york times has his I don't even know if we can call it a cookbook. It's called No Recipe Recipes. And that's kind of what you're talking about here. Are you, I know that you're working on a cookbook. Are you, are you at liberty to talk about that?
0: Well, yeah, it's, it's kind of like along the same lines. And it's, it's all about finding flow in the kitchen. In intuition, flow, ease, speed, efficiency, and um, learning to cook with these, these techniques or these methods, and then having the the confidence and the, and then a little bit of the skill also to wing it. And so the teaching these methods, I think gives people the opportunity to um, have freedom and confidence to wing it in the kitchen. Um, I had a friend at the hospital where I used to work and she was from Thailand and she taught me to make a Thai stir fry. And I'd been doing stir fry wrong my entire life. And she came in and she showed me that she did the eggs first and took the eggs out of the pan. She did the chicken, took the chicken out of the pan. Did the aromatic vegetables, took them out of the pan got the sauce going, threw it all back in, side of rice, and it was absolutely delicious. So it just took kind of somebody to kind of show me one little technique. And then my stir fry now is, it's it's different every time I make it, but I had to learn my friend's stir fry method before I could feel comfortable expanding into that new thing for dinner. And my son absolutely loves
1: it. When I announce I'm making stir fry, he's over the moon. Okay, I've also just learned that I've been doing stir fry wrong, <laughs> but you're paying attention. Like when you're at the hotel breakfast, you're watching the person at the omelet station and you're watching your friend make stir fry. So it seems like that's a big part of it is just being observant and curious. I've been curious about it since I first made
0: that box of Kraft macaroni and cheese when I was, uh, when I was young. And it's just something that's always really kind of captured my imagination and then studying it and then understanding the science of cooking. Um, And then talking about another technique is, is roasting, just understanding that if you're going to roast some root vegetables, you need to slice them all essentially kind of the same size. So they all cook at the same time. So you don't have, you know, big chunks of potatoes and little chunks of potatoes, just understanding small things like that, that, Foods have to be cut uniformly. If you want them to cook uniformly, that goes with grilling as well. Understanding that the food needs to all be kind of the same size. And then another big thing I like to teach people is understanding the water content of food. So carrots have a much lower water content than peppers. But if you put them in the oven at the same time and cook them until the carrots are done, your peppers will be shriveled. So again, it's, it's, that's very intuitive is looking at your food, touching your food, Hearing it when you cut the food, uh, seeing how much water escapes when you're cutting it, just paying attention to water content of vegetables and fruits is massive. And that has really changed my my cooking incredibly when I really started to pay attention to the water content of food.
1: That is a great tip. And I guess I intuitively do that. You kind of start with the food that's going to take the longest and then go backwards. But- it's been interesting cooking with my kids. They're nine and five. And to have to explain, you're so good at putting into words why we're doing the things we're doing. I feel like there's homework for, for everybody here. So the people who don't know how to make a bechamel or, or don't know how to make potatoes in the toaster oven or whatever, they can work on that. And then those of us for whom it's a little bit more natural probably need to work on explaining why, right? So we can bring other people into the fold. You know, when I, I cook with my kids, it takes, it feels like it takes forever and I have to stop and explain everything, but how else are they going to learn?
0: <laughs> Explaining the why is incredibly important. I, I teach um, at a, uh, I teach at a drug and alcohol treatment center. I teach cooking and nutrition there. And I think it was one of the best um, experiences of my entire career. We made something very, very simple, honey seared Brussels sprouts. It was just four ingredients. And um there was a kid there and he was sitting there eating them. And he he actually kind of started to, to cry a little bit while he was eating them. And I, I said, what's going on? He said, I've just never had home cooked food before.
1: Oh.
0: And, and he, I felt like at that moment, maybe he thought maybe there was a little bit of hope that he could cook or he could make meals for himself, or maybe there was uh, something better in the future. Than, than what he'd been eating was fast food his whole life. And so this was the first time he'd had something that had really been cooked from scratch. And it was a very simple recipe. It, it's just searing the Brussels sprouts and finishing them with a little bit of honey and, and salt. But man, they are good. And I think they're good because they're simple and they're fresh and they're they're made with butter, quite frankly. Anything with <laughs> butter and <laughs> salt tastes great. But it was, I think it was, the, I think the most, The best moment of my entire career teaching and cooking nutrition was seeing his reaction to homemade food. And that just keeps me going because I want everyone to feel that kind of joy and confidence in the kitchen when preparing food, because food is such an important part of our lives and our culture and our health.
1: Oh, that just makes me melt. I love that story. And I know that food equity is very important to you. So how does cooking this way make it a little bit more accessible, make healthy food more accessible for everyone?
0: I've gotten myself in a little bit of trouble. I'll tell you, I, I've, I say that organic is a dirty word. Um, I think that organic creates a world of the haves and the have nots. And I've had a lot of people tell me, well, I cannot afford organic, so I will not eat fruits and vegetables. And I say, you know, full stop, please don't let that O word, that organic word, keep you from eating fruits and vegetables if it truly isn't in your household budget to buy organic fruits and vegetables. People say to me, Wendy, what's the best vegetable to eat? And I say, it's the one that makes it into your stomach. And whether that's canned or frozen or organic or non-organic or from the supermarket or from the the produce stand or the farmer's market, I don't care. I just want people to eat fruits and vegetables. And um, I'm always looking for barriers to access. And I think that organic is a barrier to access.
1: It's always so good to talk to you. You're so inspiring and yet practical. I hear your voice in my head almost daily with some of your tips about, you know, how to cook faster in the kitchen and people can listen to that episode, I think season three, episode one. But Wendy, is
0: there anything else that you would like to share? Florida has just an absolute bounty of aquaculture and agriculture. We grow a lot of fantastic fruits and vegetables in this state. And if you are thinking about making a greater environmental impact with your food choices, look to buy Florida seafood and look to buy Florida produce because uh, it doesn't take as much fossil fuels to truck it to us. Please don't buy um, citrus from California. I, I beg you don't buy citrus from California, try and buy Florida citrus. Because when you think about the fossil fuels required to bring that citrus to your grocery store from California, that's a a big carbon footprint. So try and buy as much local as you can, as much Florida as you can, and you'll have a, a greater, deeper environmental impact.
1: Well, Wendy Wesley, it's always great to have you on. Thank you for these amazing tips. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you.
0: I love being on The Zest. Thank you for having me so much.
1: Wendy Wesley is a registered and licensed dietitian and nutritionist in St. Petersburg. She shared an outline of her loaf cooking method. And for those of you who still prefer detailed instructions, she passed along her recipe for easy crab cakes, which is based on her loaf method. You'll find both on our website, thezestpodcast.com. I'm Dalia Colon. I produce The Zest with Andrew Lucas. We get help from Chandler Balcom and Mark Hayes. The Zest is a production of WUSF Public Media. Copyright 2021.